Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. And, um, but I want to bring, beginning a, a new series today, and it's really come out of my, uh, my readings as some extra Bible study that I've been doing. And uh, I'm going to call it Living in Light of Eternity. Living in Light of Eternity. A financial planner, if he can get past your phone system, how many of you get marketing phone calls? How many of you are really good at hanging up? (laughs) But a financial planner will want to come alongside of you and get in your ear as early as possible over the course of your lifetime. Why is that? Because they want to be able to uh, get a young body and a young mind to understand that it's important to prepare for the future. And I remember when I first started work, I was on $2.35 an hour. I was, a, I was a grease monkey. I was a mechanic. And, uh, and, and that was back in the day when superannuation was compulsory. That means that part of my great big wage packet at $2.35 an hour... I think, I, I think all up I got $96 a week for a 40-hour week. And uh, so part of my pay packet disappeared into the government account, the superannuation fund. And then they stopped making uh, superannuation compulsory. What's superannuation? Superannuation is that over a long period of time, as you put a little bit of money away each week out of your pay packet, by the time you reach 65, if you start at the age of 18, then you are going to be okay in your retirement and you won't have to rely on the government for everything. That's the plan. And so a financial planner will come alongside of you and they will try and get you to become future orientated in your thinking instead of just thinking about the here and now. Instead of just thinking about the moment that you're living in now, they will try and do some sums with you to grab your attention in order for you to realise that if you don't do something now, no matter what age you're at, and I'm actually thankful for KiwiSaver, you know, the government gives you $500 a year. You want to grab free money when you can. Anyhow, that's not the aim of this message. But as soon as I found out the government are going to give me 500 bucks a year free, I thought, wow, I'm not missing out on that. So all I have to do is just make the minimum contributions and the government are going to give me that money. Now, here's the problem. You know, at the age of 18, I couldn't give a rip. 65 seemed like so, so far, far away. Now that I'm 52, it seems too, too close. Why is that? Because the older you get, you change your value system. And your values change a lot as the time continuum shrinks. Then you begin to look at some of the hard questions about your life. 
and you start to think a little bit harder about what will happen if I hit 65. Do I have a plan? And you might think this, James, you've become a financial planner. No, I haven't. I just want to uh, lead to the introductory scripture today from Luke's Gospel, chapter 19, because the disciples of Jesus had a problem. The followers of Jesus were only thinking about the immediate here and now. And you'll see it in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Their thoughts are revealed when they talked about how they saw the world continuing forward from this day. So in Luke 19, verse 11, Now as they heard these things, this is Jesus, He spoke, Jesus speaking, He spoke another parable because He was near Jerusalem and because they thought the Kingdom of God would appear would appear. So the purpose of the story that Jesus is about to tell is to correct a mindset that was wrong, that the disciples were carrying in their head. All of them thought that the Messiah that was prophesied to come was going to set up a kingdom here on earth, right here, right now, today. And so he tells a story. And the purpose of the story is to correct the wrong mindset. Are we on track here today, church? So they did not have a future perspective. And Jesus begins to tell them a story and he talks about a nobleman. And in fact, the nobleman was none other than himself. And the nobleman came to uh, collect his kingdom, but The kingdom, the nobleman was rejected by his people. So the Bible says that he went away. But before he went away, he gave minas, which is money, mangelos. He gave money and he gave 10 minas to each person. He gave the same amount in the story, which is different from the story found in Matthew 25, another situation. And this story is all about helping us to gain an eternal perspective. So let me read it to you, verse 12. Therefore Jesus said, A certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and he said to them, Do business till I come. But his citizens hated him. And they sent a delegation after him saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. Who are those people? That's the Jews. That's Israel. All right. They rejected Christ. And so the nobleman went away. And so it was that when he returned, having received the kingdom, he then commanded these servants to whom he'd given the money to be called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first saying, Master, your minna has earned 10 minas. And he said to him, well done, good servant, because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over 10 cities. And the second came saying, Master, your minna has earned five minas. Likewise, he said to him, you also be over five cities. Then another came saying, Master, here is your minna, which I have kept put away in a handkerchief. What? In a handkerchief. For I feared you because you are an austere man. You collect what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, out of your own mouth, I will judge you, you wicked servant. 
If you knew that I was an austere man, collecting what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow, why then did you not even put my money in the bank that at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the minna from him and give it to him who has 10 minas. But they said to him, Master, he's already got 10 minas. The nobleman replied, for I say to you, that to everyone who has will be given. And from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. This parable is is addressing a problem that we all have at various stages in our life. And that is that we can become sluggish. We can become passive with our outlook on life. We're waiting for life to come to us rather than going to life. And in this parable, Christ is teaching that I don't want you to have a here and now mindset. I want you to live your life in such a way that you need to understand that how you live your life today is in fact going to have impact upon eternity. And I'll share that with you at the end by using a very simple illustration as I rack my brain to think how I could bring this across to us this morning. And so in this parable, we see 10 servants all received the same amount of money, 10 minutes. And what's the command? What's the exhortation? He says, I'm going away to receive a kingdom, but I'm going to return. So they all knew that one day they would have to stand in front of the nobleman and they would have to give an account of what they did with what was given to them because it wasn't theirs, it was the master's. And this is where we come into problems. When we believe the stuff that we have is ours, then we treat it differently as if we know it was the master's and we would have to give an account of it at the end of our lives. What's a minna? A minna was a financial amount of money, but a minna really what it is, it's, it's representing your life. Your life. Your life is made up of time. Right now, because you're breathing, you have time on your side as of this second. I can't guarantee it for the rest of today, but right now you're here, you're breathing, your heart's beating, you're alive, you have time. You have talents. All of you have special abilities that God has given to you at varying levels. You all have talents and abilities that God has programmed into your DNA. And all to varying degrees, we have treasure. We have some kind of resource that is at our disposal today. So we have time, we have talents, and we have treasures. And he says, I want you to do business. Do business. That's the literal translation. I want you to do business while I'm away receiving my kingdom. I want you to do business with what I've given to you. Your time, your talents, and your treasures, I want you to put them to work and I'm going to come back and let's have a little check-in time to see what's been happening while I've been gone. This story is about purpose. It's about refocusing our lives. It's about putting value on what God puts value on in our world. Jesus said 
that having received the kingdom, he commanded his servants to whom he had given money to be called to him, that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Did you see that? He wanted to know how much every man had gained. There was an expectation in the heart of the Lord that gain would be the equation over your life. Not loss, not even just giving back what was given to you in the beginning, but he came back to see what you had gained, what sort of business had been going on in your life. Now, friends, I'm not talking, let me make this clear. I'm not talking just about business people here, and neither is Jesus. In this story, the business is the business of building the kingdom of God. That's the business that he's talking about. What have you done with your time? What have you done with your talents? What have you done with your treasure in order to build the kingdom here on earth? Because he was counteracting their thinking. They're thinking it's God's going to sew it all up. It's all the curtain's going to come down right now, here and now, and we're going to set up the millennial reign of Christ for a thousand years on earth. That was what was in their thinking. And he said, I want you to get that out of your thinking. You have got business to do until I come back. Now we know in the story, the nobleman returned, right? But as it stands in the history of the world right now, Jesus Christ has not yet come back. The second coming of Christ is not yet happening. It, it will happen. Friends, it will happen. As lightning strikes across the sky from the west to east, you will one day see Jesus Christ descending from heaven with the shout of the archangels and the trumpet of God will sound and Christ shall return in all of His glory. The nobleman is returning. Jesus is coming back. But right now, what stage are we at? We're at the stage of doing business. What with your time, your talents and your treasure. The things that God has gifted and given to you from Himself in order to put to work, to trade, to do spiritual business, to do physical business until He comes back again. Pastor James, you're sounding very much like you're preaching a gospel of works this morning. What's a gospel of works? A gospel of works is basically that if I'm good enough and I work hard enough and I'm a goody two-shoes and I'm the teacher's favourite pet and I try my hardest that I can work my way into heaven by living a good life. Except the Bible says this, there's none good, no, not one. I'm not good, you're not good. The Bible says even the best that we can do is like filthy rags in the sight of a holy God. You see, we're measuring ourselves. We look at the sheep in our green pastures in New Zealand and we think, wow, your sheep are white. But then you take the same sheep, the same sheeps, you take the same sheep, that's against the green backdrop of the lovely pasture in New Zealand and you put it up against the purity of Mount Ruapehu and the snow that's just fallen down there and all of a sudden you think, man, that's a dirty looking sheep. Because we compare ourselves wrongly. We're comparing ourselves with one another. I'm better than you and I'm better than you, but that's not the comparison. The comparison is 100% holy, pure God. And he says, actually, none of you have passed the test. Therefore, that's why I had to send my son, Jesus, because he's the only 100% pure, righteous man that's ever lived. And he willingly took the penalty for all your wrongdoing on his body at the cross. And when he said, it is finished, that means your debt that you owe God, the debt of your sin, 
The wages of sin is death. That's what the Bible says. That's been separated from God for all eternity. I'm not talking about just dying physically. The Bible says there's two deaths. There's the first death and there's the second death. The second death is when we pass into eternity. And he says, if you haven't received my son Jesus by simply believing on him, not by being a goody two-shoes, not by trying to do your best, but simply believe. For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. That's the good news of the gospel. And yet we see in this parable something that almost seems to be telling us a different story because they are rewarded on the consistency of their effort. Are we talking about the same gospel here? Because this seems to be talking about works. I got 10 more minutes. That means I had 20 all up. Well done, good and faithful servant. I'm going to make you a ruler over 10 cities in eternity. Wow, what a reward. What a reward. You see, friends, what we've got to understand is this. Is that we are saved from the wrath that is to come. We are saved from eternal damnation and hell. Not by trying to be good, but by believing in Jesus Christ. Listen to Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved. What's grace? God's kindness and favour that you can't earn. All right? You've been saved by grace through faith, that's believing, and not of yourselves. No man or woman can work it up good enough to get into heaven. We've all failed. It is the gift of God. Salvation is a free gift given to us. Verse 9, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So there we have it, friends. The premise of you entering heaven is not by trying harder and trying to live a better life. It is by simply receiving the free gift that Jesus holds out. And all you have to do this morning is believe. When I came to Christ, I knew I was a rotten sinner. When I came to Christ, I knew I didn't have anything on the scales in my favour. When I came to Christ, I simply believed. And in that moment, God saved me. He turned my life around. He forgave me for every rotten sin that I'd ever done. And He put me on a path, a brand new path that I didn't even know existed. I didn't even know that world was out there. When I came to church and saw all these churchy people, and then I saw them singing, and then some of them lifted up their hands, freaked me out. So what is this place? Is this a zoo? <laughs> no, friends, this isn't a zoo. This is what people do when they're in love with Jesus. They love to worship. They love to praise. They love to shout out His name because He's done so much for them that they can't help but tell it to the rest of the world. But friends... Let's follow on to the next verse to see what Jesus is talking about in this parable of the minas. Verse 10 of Ephesians 2. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You are freely saved by grace, but you are saved to work. 
Okay, compute, compute, compute. Let's compute that. Let's get that into my spirit. My ticket to heaven has already been paid for. I'm going. So are you if you believe in Jesus today. But he said, you've been saved, James. I've given you a free ticket into heaven. Now I have prepared in advance good works for you to carry out while you're living in this body, in that period between the time that the nobleman has gone and returns back in his absence, I have prepared good works for you to do. I've prepared them in advance, beforehand. You're my workmanship. Literally that word in the Greek means you're my poem. You're my poem. Wow, poet, you're poetry in motion this morning. Your poetry in motion. You are His workmanship. But you know what? That poem is to be written and shared upon the hearts and lives of other people that don't know Jesus yet. And God has pre in advance prepared. You're saved freely by grace, but you're saved for good works. And this is what Jesus was talking about when He said, do business. When He said, do business, He said, I want you to trade with your time, talents and treasures and I want you to put them to work to build the Kingdom of God here today. One of the most famous Scriptures in the the New Testament is Matthew 5.16. It says, So then let your light so shine before men. Don't hide it. If you met Jesus, let it shine. Let it radiate out of you. Why? Because so that the people in the world can see your, your, okay, we've heard it again, and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is one of Jesus' most famous preaching passages. And He said, I've saved you and I've put my light in you to shine out from you. And I've got good works for you to do so that when the world sees those good works coming out of your life, they're going to glorify your Father in heaven. That's how we bring glory to God in heaven is by our good works. Are we all on track, church? What are good works? Well, good works are simply things that we do for God's glory to advance God's kingdom that benefits others in God's name. The things that we do for God's glory, all right, to advance God's kingdom, to benefit others in God's name. What's the word for Faith Point this year? Others. others. Amen. Others. So that's what good works are for today. So he says, I'm going to give you talents. They're not yours. I'm going to give you minas. They're not yours. They belong to me. All right. That means that you are officially now a steward. What is a steward? A steward is somebody who looks after other people's stuff. It doesn't belong to them. But the biblical definition of a steward, friends, is to protect what's been given to you and to expand it as an asset for the kingdom of God. To protect and to expand the assets of the person who gave you that stuff to look after. We're not talking about treading water here. We're talking about advancement in the name of Jesus. So let's have a look at this story here where the nobleman comes back 
And we know Jesus is going to return. That is a fact in, in Scripture and in the Bible. And my friends, looking at the signs of the times that are out there right now with these, uh, these mega nations that are nuclear armed and nuclear powered, where you've got crazy people ready to hit the red button. We're living in some pretty exciting times with some pretty crazy people. And uh, so we need to be doing business for the kingdom of God because that time of Jesus returning is getting closer and closer. So he came back to see how much every man had gained by trading. What's interesting in the parable, he uses some very authoritative words. It says he commanded the servants to be brought to him that he had given the ministers to. He commanded them to appear before him. And this, friends, is that dreaded word that many of us run from is accountability. And one day I know that Jesus is going to call my name and he's going to command James Anson to stand before the living God to give an account of what he's given to me. You see, the heart of the question he's going to ask is this, friends. On that day, it's not going to be, what did you do for you? It's going to be, what did you do for me? What did you do with what was mine that I gave on loan to you? How would you feel this morning if you implemented a savings program? I know it's so difficult to save money these days with the high cost of living in Auckland City. It is a, it is a mission and a half to do that. But let's say you implemented a savings plan and you'd saved hardcore for five years and you had 50K sitting in your bank account. And then one day the bank rings you up and they say, Mr. Anson, we've got some sad news to report for you. You know that money that you put in your savings account? You know that money that you entrusted us to look after and to earn interest? Just want you to know that some of the boys from the bank went to Las Vegas on the weekend. They didn't have a good run on the pokies. And I'm sorry to tell you, but they have wasted all of that money that was in the bank account. That money that we were supposed to look after on your behalf, that we were supposed to gain from. I'm sorry to report they've just wasted it all and they've blown it on the pokies in one wild weekend in Las Vegas. Now I want to ask you, how would you feel? I want to ask you another question. How would you feel? How do you think God feels? About the time, the talent, and the treasures that he's entrusted into your hands. Are you wasting it or are you doing business? Till he comes. This whole, I'll be doing another message in the near future. Because friends, I'm convinced there are so many times that Jesus spoke about not just living from the present, but being eternally minded, understanding that how we live our lives here has a huge impact on what's going to happen in eternity. Massively so. And so he says the first servant comes back to him. Verse 16. Then came the first saying, Master, your minute has earned 10 minutes. And he said to him, well done, good servant. Because you were faithful in a very little, have authority over 10 cities. So this is pretty good, pretty good effort. 100% profit. He's doubled 
the money that the Lord gave to him. And he didn't do it at the pokies. He did it by doing business and working hard for the king of kings. And the master's response in this situation is that he's not only protected the asset, but he's grown the asset. And he's gained the asset in which he's gladly able to share. This is what I give you in return. Amen? So I've done business and I've collected 10 more cities. And the response is remarkable. He says, he says to him, now remember, he's already received his kingdom at this point. The Bible says in the parable, the nobleman returned having received his kingdom. So we're now talking about eternity. We're now talking about 1 Corinthians 3, the whole chapter, which is all about believers having to stand before God and give an account of how they live their lives as Christians. Not the judgment of all, all people. This is the judgment of believers. All right? And so he's, he's there and he says, well done because the time, the talents and the treasure that I gave to you, you just doubled it. And I'm going, because I've seen, because I've seen the way you've, you've lived your life while I've been absent, while the nobleman's gone away, because I've seen how you've lived your life, I know that you are trustworthy because you've done business how I asked you to do business. Therefore, in eternity, I'm going to make you a ruler over 10 cities. What? We have cities? I thought we just sat around in heaven on cloud nine playing our harps for a gazillion years. Friends, I want to tell you, the picture that so many Christians have of heaven is so, so different to what the Bible talks about. Man. The second servant comes. Likewise, your minas earn five minas. The master says to him, you will also be over five cities. So notice how the reward is consistent with the business that's been done. I'm sorry, friends, are you feeling a little bit uncomfortable this morning? I don't mean to make you feel uncomfortable. I just want to bring a light of God's truth into our lives because the more I read about eternity, the more it's got to motivate me to live my life here and now for building God's kingdom because I know one day how I've lived here is going to actually have a big impact on what's going to take place in eternity. So it's interesting, isn't it? He comes to the second guy and the second guy says, Master, he's got it in his head. You see, he says, Master, your minna. So often with our stuff, we own it. We say, it's mine. My car, my house, my stuff. He says, your minna. So he understands who it belongs to. It doesn't belong to him. It belongs to his master. He says, your minute has earned five more minutes. And so he again commends him. The third servant comes. He says, Master, here's the minute. I put it away in a handkerchief, for I feared you, because you are an austere man. You see, friends, this guy's got the lingo. He's got the Christianese. He's got the word Lord. He's got the word Master. But he's pronounced by the nobleman as being a wicked servant in this situation. It was like in response, the nobleman said to me, you've got the right language, boy. 
You can speak the Christianese. You can come and you can have fellowship. You can do all those things. You can look like you're one of us. But what business did you do while I was absent? You've got a theology where you call me Lord, but your theology doesn't help you actually live your life out. You've got to recheck your theology, the way that you're thinking. I want to just quickly go to a couple of verses in Luke 14. Let me read it to you. This is Jesus again speaking. Then he also said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends. Listen to this category of people. Do not ask your friends, your relatives, your rich neighbours, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. Hello? What's the natural thing if you get invited to someone's place? I'll repay the favour and I'll invite them back to my place. All right? So Jesus is saying here, I don't want you to go to family. I don't want you to go to your friends. I don't want you to go and invite people to your place for dinner, people who have the ability to repay you. I want you to go to people who don't have the ability to repay you. Let's carry on. It's getting interesting. Verse 13, But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. Sheesh, what a group of people. The poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. But look at verse 14. And you will be blessed. Why? Because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Who are you working for? Who are you expecting to pay your eternal wages this morning? I want to make a statement. Listen very carefully to this. God will give credit for what you do in His name and for the kingdom to benefit others only when you do not require anything in return. I'm squeezing that one out this morning. You see, what God gives credit for is when you do it for His name, for the good of others, and you expect payment from Him, not from them. Because it's very clear in Scripture, God will repay if you're doing it for Him. There is rewards in eternity. That's very, very clear right through the Scriptures today. And so... You see, this is, if you get this this morning, listen to this, if you get this, this is why you can feel good when you bend over backwards for somebody and they don't even say thank you to you. Because you're not doing it for them. You're not expecting your reward from them. You're expecting it from Him. And according to this parable, when He repays, He pays big time. Ten minutes more, ten cities. Whoa. Whoa. So who are we doing it for today? Are we inviting people over because we're expecting them to invite us back? Are we doing favours for people because we want them to be indebted to us one day to return the favour? Or are we doing it knowing that they may even spit in our face, they may not even care, they may even run us down, but it doesn't matter because you're not doing it for them, you're doing it for Him. 
It's gotten very quiet in this Presbyterian church this morning. You see, it is deception and it is crazy this morning. It is crazy for us this morning to live our lives like we never have to give an account for how we live. It's deception. It's craziness today. I want to ask you a question. Why do you suppose the third servant, when he gave an account, brought all the minutes, the 10 that it was originally given to him, in a handkerchief? You know what I believe? Because banks keep records. What are you saying, James? Could it be that the servant was hedging his bets? If the nobleman doesn't return, there's no records of these 10 minutes that have been given to me. No bank records. And then I can just go and use them however I want and do whatever I want. No audit trail. Nothing that leads back. I can be my own boss and my own master. So, as we finish this message this morning, I want you to take notice of verse 24. Remember, they're giving an account, friends. They're giving an account. Look at this. And he said to those who stood by, you mean when my personal stuff on how I've lived my life for God is going to be judged and measured by the king, that there's going to be bystanders watching on, seeing what's going to happen to me. And he said to those who stood by, that's others who are not in this equation. I don't know about you, friends, but I can put on a pretty good show for others when I know others are watching. That's why athletes always perform better when they've got a full crowd. They're putting on a show. You know, those guys that played the Lions last night, just provincial players, and they nearly beat the team that's four countries combined into one. Why? Because they had a full house in Whangarei. They had a full house, and a full house will bring the best out of you because you will perform because you know others are watching. Well, guess what? Others are going to be watching what's going to happen at your judgment. What did he say to him? Take the minute from him and give it to him who has 10 minutes. Wait a minute. Let's get a little bit fair about this. He's already got 10 and you want him to give up what he's got and give it to the guy that's already made another 10. That's right. He says... To him in verse 25, Master, he has 10 minutes, for I say to you that to everyone who has will be given, and from him who does not have. What didn't he have? He didn't have any increase. He didn't have any gain. He gave back what was originally given to him. He was at zero. There was no gain. There was no trade. There was no business that had been done because he hid it in a handkerchief. Take it from him who does not have. Take it from him who hasn't protected the asset. 
Take it from him who hasn't expanded the asset. Take it from him who hasn't done business like I asked him to do. Do business till I come back. Wow. I believe, friends, that if we can live life here and now in light of eternity, you know, eternity is a long time. How long is it? Forever and ever 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 and ever, world without end. Eternity is a long, 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 long time. I came to the Lord when I was 20 years old. I'm 52 now. That's 32 years that I've been serving the Lord. If I make it to 70, that's if this planet isn't all wrapped up by then. But if I make it until I'm 70, I am going to have to stand before the nobleman, my master, and he's going to say, James, what did you do with the 50 years of serving me with your life? What did you do with the time, the talent, and the treasures that I entrusted into your care? I want you to give an account. Could I just, somebody, could I have your help? Could you just bring that yellow extension cord around? I want to finish with an illustration this morning. I was trying to think of how I could portray this. Just, just the head, that's all. Just drag that around. Just pull that around the corner. That's the one. Okay, I want you to come out and stand over here, something. I want you to hold it out. Hold that in this hand here, and I want you to, no, no, this hand over here, hold this here. I want you to just stretch that other hand out across here. Here is the timeline of your life. The red zone represents life here on earth. This represents do business since you got saved. The yellow represents eternity. You can't even see the end of this. This cord may never end. It just, it's gone into the back room. I don't know how long it is. But here's the truth. This may be 70 years or however many years God gives to you. This is how long eternity is. What you do in the red zone is going to impact how you live in the yellow zone. Friends, I want to say this to you. Heaven is not a place of equal opportunities. If you follow the teachings of Jesus, he makes it very, very clear. Some will go into heaven with no reward, but they've made it because they've trusted in Jesus. And others who have built gold, silver, and precious stones, who have done business till he comes, then their yellow zone their eternity is going to be so much different than the third servant who did nothing with his time, talent, and treasures. Could we just bow our heads for a moment?